it addresses some is a chronic fundamental frustration in a, in a business issue. The fact that most people are far more comfortable in the value of what they offer than they are of knowing how in the world to talk about it. I spent the last 10 years teaching corporate America leadership and teamwork. Now, I've left my nine to five job to help as many people as possible become leaders in their work and personal lives. Some say leaders are born, but I say they're built. This podcast is the beginning of my mission to create change on a massive scale. Join me and follow along as we explore leadership, teamwork, and growth together. My name is Brian Rollo, and this is Lead with Impact. Hey there, this is Brian. Welcome to Lead with Impact. I am super excited to have you along for the ride today. In today's episode, we are going to be talking to messaging expert Jim Carr about how we can improve our messaging about our businesses, our organizations, and even our professional selves. And so I think it's going to be a very interesting conversation. Before we get there, I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you. I appreciate you showing up to these episodes and listening to them as you're driving down the road or working out or whatever you're doing. I appreciate it. Every time somebody comes back to me and tells me that they enjoyed an episode, it means a lot. So thank you very much. That being said, let's get into our talk about messaging with Jim Carr. Jim offers clients his experience as a consumer researcher, an award-winning corporate marketing leader, and a consultant, speaker, and coach to businesses ranging from startups to members of the Fortune 500. He's also the author of The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business, and the host of the Manage Your Message podcast. So, I don't know, I think Jim is doing a pretty good job about giving us a message about messaging. It's in everything he does, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to see how he created his system, and we're going to learn what we can do to benefit ourselves. So. Without any further ado, let's get into it and let's meet Jim Carr. Jim, welcome to Lead with Impact. I'm really excited to have you on today's episode. Brian, it's a pleasure uh, with what you're doing with the podcast. And uh, I feel like I'm right at home uh, helping speak uh, at least uh, through you to listeners who are leaders and trying to be more effective. Well, I am really looking forward to this conversation. I know you have a wealth of knowledge to share with us. So let's jump right in. Could you tell us what you do to help people professionally? I help the business people and, and companies learn how to talk about their businesses more effectively in everyday conversations. And as it, simple a concept as that is, Brian, and, and we can break it down into its component parts, it, it addresses some is a chronic fundamental frustration in a, in a business issue. The fact that most people are far more comfortable in the value of what they offer than they are of knowing how in the world to talk about it to other people, whether they be prospects or current customers or friends uh, or even their own uh, colleagues and employees. So uh, I found that there's uh, some simple concepts and precepts that uh, can help people to, to bridge that gap 
and it is a substantial gap. The other thing that uh, that this helps address is this is a the biggest uh, opportunity and oftentimes the quickest most straight line opportunity for people to grow their own influence and, and to grow what they're doing in their business. You don't have to necessarily change a product or your service or your distribution or your pricing or your people, but simply how you talk about the business and how you can position yourself to grow. What are we getting wrong when we talk about our businesses? Well, there are lots of things, uh, but I will, I will say this to, Brian, to you and your listeners, fundamentally, there's good news here. So we're going to unpack some, some of the challenges and, and things. And part of it is how our brains are wired. Part of it are assumptions that, that professionals have tended to make or have been told over time that we have to get around. Um, we can address that as well. Fundamentally, it's very empowering. But the, um, the thing that we get wrong, and what was the movie, Brian, uh, Goodwill Hunting, that had the line in there, it's not your fault, it's not your fault, it's not your fault. So there is a, uh, a part of it here. The most fundamental thing that we get wrong is that we tend to talk about ourselves too much or we talk in language and examples that are comfortable to us. And that's a, a function of how our brains are wired. So in, in the book that I wrote is a mix of, of looking at psychology, of brain science, and a lot of practical experience. And one thing that I learned, Brian, in doing the research for this is there's a part of our brain that uh, lights up and rewards us for certain activities. And it, when we talk about ourselves, it's the same part of our brain that lights up when we have a great meal, or even when we think about sex, it's, it's a pleasure thing. And, and so how that translates into business is we tend to talk about our expertise, our products, our services, our background, our backstory, our history, et cetera, et cetera. That's okay to a point, but the most effective conversations are the ones that have a middle ground, uh, an overlap, right? So we're speaking, if we're talking to members or fellow employees, or we're talking to customers or prospects, it really needs to be more about them and the problems that we can help them solve and the opportunities that we can help them grab onto. So that's, that's the thing, Brian, and it takes, uh, it takes some intention and it takes a little discipline uh, to be able to get out of our own selves a little bit and be able to have more conversations that are more about the other person or the other people rather than about ourselves. If I'm hearing you right, it sounds to me like you're saying to talk better about your business, talk less about your business and more about the other person. Is that a good interpretation? That's a great interpretation. Yeah, there's a lot uh, uh, today about storytelling and authenticity and, and all those other buzzwords, which are fundamentally true. And the thing about a great story is one that we as an audience can kind of imagine ourselves as being part of, uh, that we can, uh, we can identify with the characters. It seems to ring true, even if it may not be literally true for us. But if you're in business and you're talking about, so you know, your opening question is such a good one. You know, who, who do you help? You know, what do you do? And so I think if all of us and uh, your listeners included can develop a comfortable shorthand. It's not necessarily your title, not necessarily how long you've been in business, not necessarily a whole lot about your certifications or skills or whatever. That, that can come later. But it is more about here are the people whom I help in a certain way and here's how it tends to benefit them. Excellent. 
Now, let me put this into, back, into practice. Let me put this into practice and backtrack because I would like to hear a little bit more about you. How did this version of Jim Carr come to be? Uh, what was the journey that brought you to this point where you were helping people this way? Yes, and I'm so now it's 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 okay sometimes to talk about ourselves. And so um, as I as I had a, a friend and someone named Mark Levy who puts it, he said fundamentally, uh, people want to know that you are an apple tree growing apples. In other words, what you do is is a natural product of. Uh, of your background and your skills and your talents and your passions and that sort of thing as well. So, um, so in my case, Brian, it's a, it's a combination and it's not a natural linear progression, but professionally, well, I'll, I'll start even further back. I'm a small town Southern kid. Uh, my, my father grew pine trees and my mother uh, had a dress shop uh, right off the courthouse square. So it, it, think of the Andy Griffith show, you wouldn't be too far off in terms of, of what it was like. Um, and so I always um, but thought about, you know, a, a bigger world out there and, and things that I could do. I really appreciate as a father now, uh, actually, <laughs> what it's uh, the, the, uh, the benefits of a small town. But I, uh, as I struck out and I had um, I went to went to college, University of Florida. I got an MBA from Duke University and set out for the big city and the big world. And what my um, my path has mostly been is in, in three areas in sequence. So the first is after spending a little bit of time in business, I decided, Ryan, the coolest job out there were my business school college professors. I mean, what a great job. They were experts. They had a built-in audience. They wrote some stuff. They got to, most of them did consulting work on the outside. Ties are optional. How cool is that? So uh, I went back in, uh, to get a PhD. Uh, mine's in mass communication. And I, uh, went, I set about on a teaching career. So I taught marketing and management and advertising. Uh, for the most part. And so, uh, which brought me to Little Rock, Arkansas about 20 years ago. And, um, but I wasn't driven by the security of a tenured position necessarily. I, I kind of, I liked my subject matter and I started again doing some writing and I took on some consulting clients, one of whom made me an offer right after I'd made tenure. He had a couple of businesses, private businesses. He was adding a third and he said, Jim, I think you need to get a real job. You need to get out of a, the, the college campus and, and grading midterms, and we're putting together a team that we're going to combine the operations of these companies. I need someone to run marketing for me. And uh, it did not require a relocation. It was very intriguing to me. And so I spent uh, a little more than four years as a chief marketing officer, CMO, for this mid-sized private company whose uh, flagship product is a uh, single source bottled spring water that comes out of uh, near Hot Springs, Arkansas. Um, and for the, about the last a little more than a decade now, Brian, I've been working more as a consultant speaker. And uh, in that case, I'm working with sometimes smaller businesses. They typically are midsize or growth companies, oftentimes big companies that have field sales teams. Most of, the, most of my clients sell something that's kind of complicated. That's kind of hard to explain. It may have a long uh, deal cycle with it. So think of IT, software, healthcare, talent management, manufacturing, a lot of those, those sorts of things. So not, not like low price consumer products. In those kinds of businesses, and this may relate to a lot of uh, what your listeners are involved in, the conversation matters. 
And so whether it's you're trying to sell more things, you have an idea inside your organization, you want someone to pay attention to it because you think it's a, a really good idea. Um, maybe you have a cause or a community group that, that's important to you and you want to attract more uh, people into that cause or that not-for-profit. So I work now with, and I'm, as it turns out, Brian, I think it makes more sense maybe in retrospect than it even did at the time. So what I'm able to do is bring together the research that I did, um, the conceptual part in consumer psychology and audience research from my, my teaching and, and publishing days, and uh, knowing the complexities of actually trying to manage this stuff in a corporate environment from my chief marketing officer days, and then now working across lots of different industries with salespeople, subject matter experts, uh, executive teams, try to help them bring some consistency to that, to make the way that everyone talks about the business, not in a, a robotic sort of fashion. We're not going to try to overly script it. That's going in the wrong direction. But uh, getting a, a central guide and a central culture around how we talk about the business as a way to help the business grow uh, in an organic fashion. I want to come back to that because I think there's so much to unpack there. But I want to get you to talk for just another moment about your personal journey, because I'd like to hear the challenges that people have. So for you, I'm curious about the challenge of moving from an academic environment to a corporate environment. Now you made it sound like it went pretty smoothly, but were there any struggles? Did you have to adapt your mindset at all to make that jump? To a degree, Brian, yes, I did have to adapt my mindset. So this, this came, this offer came less than a year after uh, I made tenure. And for those of you, uh, most of your listeners are not in that academic environment. What that means is for the most part, you can't get fired unless you really mess up. And so um, it's, it's a, essentially a lifetime employment contract. Uh, it's not, it wasn't terribly well paid, but it is secure. And so that, that element of, of security is going to be very appealing to a lot of people, frankly, to most people who are in that. To me, it wasn't as much of a personal driver. So it wasn't as much of a mindset change as I had to evaluate. And at that point, I'm, I'm married and my wife and I have small children. And uh, to look at that and, and to look at her uh, and to help her believe that I might not have lost my mind completely uh, of giving up something that is that is pretty secure uh, in this day and age and into something that was far less secure, um, had a much bigger upside, but it also had downside. And so in, in that sense, it was trying to evaluate um, those two options, which are very different. It was not, if not apples and oranges, it was at least oranges and tangerines, right? There, it's, right. it's a different sort of thing. I will say there's a, there are challenges and most of the time the challenges hit us not as two good reasonable options to consider it's uh, the outside world intervenes and some enforces our hand. So the transition from corporate to working more on my own was not something I chose. We had, uh, it had gone well uh, from my standpoint, we were winning awards. We were doing really well with our uh, marketing and, and public relations programs in a, a very big uh, global bottled water industry. We were recognized actually as having the best marketing program in the global bottled water industry going up against really big players like Nestle or PepsiCo or the Coca-Cola company, right? We were just a little niche player. 
But at the same time, we had a, a proposed distribution deal that we'd invested a lot of money in that fell through when the company we were going to go into that became the target of a hostile takeover. It was Anheuser-Busch and, um, and they got taken over and our deal went away. And so we, uh, we were all of a sudden running short of cash, which meant uh, as often happens, especially on the marketing side, I became expendable. I had to be. So it, uh, that was a different sort of challenge of like, oh, okay. And then, then I had to think through as well, well that, that risk that I took before, Maybe I wasn't that smart. You know, we were on the cusp of doing something, uh, had explosive growth to it and it just didn't work out and it wasn't our fault. But, but then having to pick up the pieces and think, what is it that I can do now? Cause I really could not go back to the academic job. And, and so was I going to try to find another corporate job or could I take the things that I'd learned in those two settings? And maybe that would be valuable to other leaders and to other teams and companies. So and that always, that is difficult. And then how would I market myself? How would I make all of that uh, work? So uh, I think it's very common, those kinds of challenges. Sometimes there are challenges where you have to look at it and say, what are my real motivations? What am I really supposed to be doing when I have options? And then there are sometimes you get punched in the face and you have to think, now what, right? What's that Mike Tyson quote? Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Until they get punched in the face, that's right. That's quite a story. So thank you for sharing that because I think my audience, our audience, they all have their own struggles. And when they can hear how somebody else faced theirs and overcame it, it's just empowering to everyone. So thank you for sharing that. Now I'd like to go back to what you were talking about with the messaging because something there really piqued my interest when you talked about making sure everybody in the organization has the same message. As part of my work, as you know, I work on culture. And one of the big things that I talk about is alignment because that is really a struggle. I found it's very typical for microcultures to pop up in organizations and they each can have their own language, their own messaging. And it becomes almost like an organization with split personalities. Yeah. So, when you come into a situation like that, how do you help them fix that situation? Well, first, let me acknowledge that what you described, Brian, is very, very common. And sometimes it can happen uh, organizationally, structurally, uh, bureaucratically, if you will. And sometimes it's more under the surface. So I very typically find, for example, if we're working on business growth, through messaging that you've got. And this isn't just a big company issue, but certainly shows up a lot in bigger companies, but even in smaller ones, you have sales and marketing and product and service, and you might be selling through a, a distribution channel and partners. Everyone is in their own to use the term silo. And the people who work in different areas typically have different language. They have different training. They may have different incentives. They uh, may have different compensation systems. It's really hard to put those. And oftentimes, organizationally, we, we tend to unknowingly or unwittingly reinforce the divisions among them. Um, so I say there's a lot of value, the business value in consistency. And so and consistency means your message coming through from different people also means through different channels, say online versus offline. And, um, and we're not going to have complete consistency, but we need essential consistency. Why? When we have that, it's much easier to build trust. 
or trustworthiness. The fact is, psychologically, if we're hearing different messages about a person or a company over time, we don't really know which ones to believe. So we wind up not believing much of anything, right? So you just kind of fade into the background. You're just another one of whoever those people are. You're one of those people. So consistency is, is the way to go. Um, I think there, there are two extremes of approach, Brian, uh, to this as a leader, neither of which works. And I'll tell you about the middle ground that I find that is effective. So one extreme is you can see leaders get very frustrated and they'll pound the table and say, that's it. We have a story. I want everyone to know the story and say it the same way. I, I know of leaders who will uh, put people to the test. They'll give them pop quizzes on their 11 point mission statement. Um, or they'll say, I want everybody to be able to spout out our value proposition or our, our vision or whatever that thing is. That tends not to work. And your best people will be the ones who resist the most. They'll resent it, right? It's not respectful of, of the people that you work with and work around. The other side of the, of the continuum, it doesn't work either, is just to go complete laissez-faire. Go, go, just Darwinian, best story wins, right? And so every, you know, we'll, we'll find out, um, how that all goes. And then you, you just descend into inconsistency and, and it undermines everyone's credibility and trustworthiness. So to your question about how do you build consistency, I think you need a central source of truth. And I think um, that the approach that I, that I follow with my clients and I would encourage anyone is a co-creation mentality. In other words, if it's something that comes just from the boss or just from a consultant or just from an agency, they came up with a snappy slogan or, or something along those lines. Brian, what, what do you think happens? What, what is the, uh, the street cred within the, the company if something just gets tossed over at them and say, hey, everyone, here's our story? Human nature is to resist. Absolutely, absolutely. However, if you, if you take a look at the important roles and the people in your, in your organization of whatever size and think, you know, we really need people who are customer facing and we need some people who aren't necessarily customer facing, but they may be considered back office, but they're still important because they have their own network of, of friends and, and their own uh, points in the, in the community. And, and so they can tell people what it's like to work with us and to be a part of our team and what we're all about. So um, I very intentionally work with a leadership team and I bring in people from marketing and sales and accounting and operations and distribution and service and we create a messaging guide or a playbook together and you know it's interesting oftentimes we'll do it and, and sometimes uh, you know, these days it may be more virtual sometimes we're we're together in a room I guess we could be together in a room these days but we'd be wearing masks and we'd be six feet apart but however we do it and, and I do a lot of obviously work uh, a lot of this work now is virtual but oftentimes Brian there'll be people who will come into this common environment to build out some messaging ideas and someone from distribution may say, I, I've heard about you, Brian, uh, you've been with us for how long now? I've never, we've never met. Uh, and they'll get a perspective that, that's very different. So I get my, my, the, the best people who have in a variation, maybe in experiences and, and, uh, and how they do it. And we build this together, which tends to accomplish two important things at the same time. 
First is that the messaging is better because it is more authentic, real, credible, conversational. It really matches the marketplace, right? So you're getting more good ideas. The other thing is you're developing, and this is very important as a leader, you want something that people will use. They'll adopt. They'll, they'll, when it comes out, they'll say, yes, that's me, that's us. And so you're building credibility and you're building momentum internally while you're creating the message because people will go back to their business units and say, Hey, we're working on this really cool thing. We're kind of developing what our differentiators are and the right questions to ask and the right stories to tell. So people are ready for it and they feel like they're represented directly or indirectly when this messaging guide comes up and you can give it different titles. Sometimes we call it conversational guides, messaging guides, playbooks, whatever. Um, but they're based on talking points and very simple things it could be simple, visual stories, questions, examples for the kinds of conversations that your colleagues are having on an everyday basis. So if you think about marketing and go to market strategy at a high level, kind of a, whether you want to call it 20,000 foot, 30,000 foot level, here's where we exist in the marketplace. Think of something that is a how to guide, very practical that exists for the specific conversations that people are having in and around your business. That's what tends to be lacking. Oftentimes, again, people will see there's a lot of value in what we do. I know we're doing great things. I work on great things. But when it comes down to that big gap from what we're all about to how do I talk about it, that's what a messaging guide or a playbook is designed to solve. That really resonates with me for a number of reasons. One, I just love the message about authenticity. One of my ongoing messages to the people I work with is that when it comes to instance, for instance, to culture, vision statements, value statements, you can't just write them like buzzword bingo and take a bunch of phrases that everybody's saying and mix them up and assume that it's going to represent your company well, which I tend to see sometimes because it's going to ring as inauthentic, not only to the world, but to the people in your organization. And second, what I love about that, and you touched on this a little bit, but I would just like to echo it, is even beyond the authenticity of the message, what a message about value that you're sending to your employees. In other words, we value enough, we value you enough to get your input on this. We want you to co-create this with us. You're not just a pawn who we are going to de deliver this to. You're a part of the genesis of it. That's right. Uh, I think a couple of important things that, uh, that you just mentioned, Brian, I'd like to reinforce. The one is about a mission or a vision statement. Those are useful exercises, but they are lousy at being the basis for everyday business conversations. And here's why. Uh, again, well-intentioned, they tend to be committee decisions and they feel like committee decisions when they're, when they're done. Um, some research that was done that I referenced in the book, there actually is a book called it's called the um, mission statement book. And it has like 300 of these things. And, um, and somebody else did the courageous act of going through and finding which words were common across these several hundred uh, corporate mission statements. And probably no surprise to you or to many of your listeners, there are about a dozen words that are in almost all of them. So service, community, sustainable, diverse, blah, 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 blah. And again, well-intentioned. And I have no doubt that that's actually true. 
but a message that sounds like everybody else's message doesn't help you. It doesn't serve to set you apart. You're just part of the noise rather than the signal above the noise. So, so I would say for purposes of your everyday business conversations, for your messaging, leave the mission statement alone. It's, it's fine for what it, it does, but it's not the way that real people talk to each other and the way that they would in, in conversation do that. So the, the concept of having this messaging guide that is very simple and conversation, conversational, the kind of things that people would remember, and they'll feel right about sharing it. Again, it's like saying, oh, I got to spout to you our 11 point you know, value proposition, ha, 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 ha. That, that, that you want people to be excited about it and think that it, it rings true for them. So um, however, I just want to reinforce that point that, that you think about this, um, again, in a mission statement is designed to exist at a super high level. I think about messaging in particular, again, about specific business goals. So maybe, and, and everyone's is going to be a little bit different. So you may have a company, you're trying to sell more of your portfolio to existing customers. Maybe you're trying to find net new customers. Maybe you're working in the, or you've acquired something, you got to bring it together. All of a sudden there's a new story to tell, or you have a new type of buyer or you may have been in the not-for-profit world. But, so think of the specific conversations. And when I put together a messaging guy, we, we get very specific. Like, who are we talking to? What is their status quo? What do they think about us now? Which kind of questions should we ask? Which are the specific stories that everybody should know and be able to share in those conversations? And then I'm assuming this should be somewhat of a living document. It should be because uh, as we know, a lot of these things get pretty stale after maybe six months or so. So yes, um, and however that lives in, uh, uh, in your team or in your organization, and sometimes it can be a document, sometimes it's digital, sometimes it's a combination of things, but, but yes. So my work oftentimes is putting this together and helping get implemented and kind of woven into the way that people meet and coach and train. And then, but ultimately, if you're the leader, you need to own it. You need to own the message. You need to own the implementation and, and make sure that it is part of your culture so that it's not dusty on a shelf someplace. Now, if you are a sales manager or a salesperson, I'm assuming your advice is that they should be taking this messaging and using it in their sales conversations. My follow-up question is, what if they bring the sales message out and they are finding it doesn't work so well? It was created by people all throughout the company to be something of value, but when, we're, when we are bringing it to the public, it doesn't seem to be having the right kind of ROI. Can that happen? And if so, how do you fix it? It can happen for, uh, for a number of reasons. Now, it is important if this is, is something that should serve the purposes of sales. In that example, I want sales leadership and field sales people to be involved as part of that co-creation process too. So they need to have some of their skin in this too. And it, so if we do that co-creation process right, we won't thoroughly miss the mark. However, um, I think it's very uh, important to have some leading indicators as well as lagging indicators for this whole effort. Sales is a lagging indicator, right? It's um, that it is the product of a lot of decisions and a lot of efforts that happen weeks or months or sometimes even, you know, years in the past. So what we want to do is set in uh, both some leading indicators. Maybe it's 
and from a sales point of view, it may be numbers of conversations that we're having or, or number with qualified people or something we're taking, maybe taking some of this messaging and we're putting it on our website or putting it in some, some other uh, digital forms. And we're trying, we, we start to see more interest coming in. Um, and we're able to set up more, more meetings, for example. So leading indicators that we're, we're hitting the mark. And then the other part that's really important, Brian, is one of the things that where these, these kind of initiatives fail to meet expectations, people get all excited about it and you have a good, good content, is when there's not good coaching and reinforcement to it. And in big organizations especially, it can't just be from HR or a training and learning uh, uh, operation is there or an outside person like me. What you want to do is, is on an ongoing basis, have your frontline managers be good coaches. Now this can be difficult because for many of them, they haven't been coached very well themselves. They may say, Hey, I'm no messaging expert. I'm not a brilliant conversationalist. I'm not a storyteller. I'm not a whatever. So what we want to do is give those managers the tools and the skills and the confidence and the reinforcement. So, your teams can, um, so we're sharing stories, we're sharing successes, we're sharing feedback, we're role playing, we're doing all those sorts of things that, that help build confidence in, uh, and build some fluidity in terms of these. The great news, Brian, is you don't have to be perfect at this. And then, so that don't make that your aspiration. We're not Lexus with the relentless pursuit of perfection. We just want to be good, you know, consistently good because most professionals, even those who are really smart and have a lot to offer, they're not very good at it or they're not very confident in it or they're not consistent with it. So if you can just be consistently pretty good, you will be head and shoulders above most of your competitors. That's powerful. So if, I'm a small business owner listening to this, or maybe I'm one of those departmental leaders that you're talking about. What's my first step? How can I start to make progress based on what you've shared so far? Sure. Uh, so uh, especially if you're a, a company leader or you've got a smaller team and like a lot of pressure comes on you. And, and I'm going to, uh, Brian, I know you ask a lot of people about kind of common assumptions or, or common advice that they should ignore. I'm just going to, I'm going to go right into that is um, there's traditionally accepted advice. Uh, and how often have we heard this one? You can't over communicate. Of course you can over communicate. You can say the wrong thing uh, too many times, you know, ask, ask my wife, I can say <laughs> the wrong thing <laughs> sometimes and, and we'll find out about that. Or you can be, if you're the leader, especially, you can say the same thing in the same way over and over and over. And what happens is at some point people tune you out, right? It doesn't mean that they don't believe it. It doesn't mean that it's not worthwhile. It means that you're just part of the noise. You're, you're part of the background. And so um, to be a, a leader, there's a, a maxim from uh, John C. Maxwell. He says, a leader is one who knows the way, goes the way and shows the way. So the knowing the way is helping uh, through whatever means get, get that message straight, right? So oftentimes leaders have a really good sense of here's our ideal kind of customer. Here, here's what we're trying to do from a business standpoint. Here are the questions we ought to be asking. Here are the great stories we want to tell. They get it. So that is, that's the first step, but they may be frustrated because everybody else doesn't get it. That's the know the way. Next is go the way. You need to visibly model the behavior that you're trying to get. 
So if you want to be out, if you want to tell people how to ask good questions or how to share good stories, they need to see you doing that, which, and even if you're not perfect, in fact, especially if you're not perfect, because then they'll know it's okay to stub your toe. This is fine. But they'll also see from your behavior, this is a priority. This is what we do. And it's okay to go out there and experiment a little bit and, and maybe even stub your toe. But we're going to do that. The third element that Maxwell talks about is show the way. And that's the how-to. So uh, oftentimes, people might see you do it or share the message in a certain way, but go yeah, but you're the boss or you're the sales leader. You have more experience. You talk to different people than I do. What if I get asked a question that I can't answer? I'm going to I'm look, look, you know, idiotic and people don't want to do that. It comes back to that comfort piece we talked about at, at the very top of our conversation. So think just in those simple terms, if you're the leader, know the way. So that means basically having the plan and here's what it, what it needs to look like going the way, which is you need to, to visibly model this. And you may not be a person who does this a lot in, in public among, among your people. Got to get past that. They need to see you doing it and knowing from your actions that this is a priority. And then finally show the way, provide the tools, the, um, and just the mechanisms where people can try this out themselves. You can build this into your culture, share uh, the ways to do it and let people know that this is a safe kind of deal. If you go out and it's not perfect the first time, that's okay. We're going to share that too so that we'll all get better together. It's valuable. Thank you. And I love your emphasis on perfection. Sometimes I think the most valuable thing is to model that it's okay to not be perfect. Right. And I don't revel. I'm not one of these that revels in failure. You know, we're just going to celebrate failure. No, no, we celebrate trying and we celebrate learning from the times that we don't get it quite right. And just give, give yourself a little grace, right? This is you and your team. We're not, we're not looking for perfection because that, that ultimately would be frustrating and, and would, people would be down about it. We don't want that. In fact, one of the great things is oftentimes, even in uh, uh, established businesses, people going through this process get a whole new energy around the value of what they do. They actually learn things more about their own company and about themselves uh, that they didn't know before. And, and they get more and more energy to, to want to talk about it and, and share it. One last question. This should be a softball for you because it's a messaging question. <laughs> uh oh. Well, here's, here you go, though, Brian. If I mess this up, then I have undercut everything we talked about. <laughs> What's your impact statement? If we had to sum up your message in two or three sentences, what would that be? Well, what I do is I, I help people and businesses to get past the most chronic barrier to growth, which is knowing how to talk about their business in everyday situations. And then the, the types of impact it would have, and this may be a little bit different than your format, but the, the impact that I can talk to is um, market share, sales growth, customer engagement, employee engagement, time to productivity, all these, there may be different uh, mix of things that you're trying to accomplish in your business. Um, but these are all metrics that can be helped substantially and relatively quickly. Again, Changing your message is a lot easier than changing your product or service or your team or your pricing or your go-to-market strategy or your territories. So I would say if, if you have some frustrations or you have some opportunities um, and 
And the other thing, Brian, is we record this. I mean, we are still a very much in a pandemic. We have a, a very tough business environment right now. So your conversations have already changed. And so this is the time to, to build in your expertise and your empathy and, uh, and, and to help internally and externally help people be equipped for those new conversations, however they happen. If someone is listening and wants to learn more, how can they find you? The toughest thing they may have to do uh, today is, is latch on to my last name. <laughs> so <laughs> it's Jim Carr, K-A-R-R-H. It's jimcar.com is my website. I also have a podcast called the Manage Your Message Podcast, which you might want to check out. Uh, on my website, you'll find um, a free sampler of my book, I have a book called The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business, which you can find on Amazon, of course, and any other place where, where you find business books. There's also an audio version that's on Audible and Apple and all the usual uh, channels there as well. So uh, I also would invite a connection on LinkedIn. That's my social uh, platform of choice. Uh, and the other thing, Brian, and, and it is a, as a messaging piece, because I have a an unusual spelling of the last name Carr. Um, I did buy the domains of some of the most common misspellings of my name, which, so if you get close, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I own Google and, and you'll, you'll get there eventually. So uh, I welcome uh, there again, free resources that are there, low cost resources like the book. Um, and then I would welcome a connection if I can be a sounding board or if I can be a help to any of your listeners. That's fantastic. We will link up the, book link your website and your linkedin in the show notes so we'll try to give people a hand uh, to find <laughs> thank you what does the future hold for jim you know it's it's um for someone who has had some dramatic shifts along the way um i would be uh, if i tell you a five-year plan i know it would be wrong so i think in the in the near term um, i have moved my business like a lot of other people to do uh, from uh, not so many in-person workshops and trainings and, and, uh, and events to more virtual. So I'm certified in, in virtual presentations and the like. And Brian, I'm not sure exactly, you know, what the future is going to hold in, in this space or when we'll get there. But uh, I, I think that a lot of training, learning, development uh, situations are now they're mostly virtual. I think we'll probably have more hybrid type situations where leaders are training and, and empowering their teams in, in smaller chunks. So it might not be the big event on, with big stages and things like that. And I think corporate events as well as industry associations and their events, I think they're going to be broken down into smaller segments, which may be part virtual, part in person and the like. So what I'm doing in my business is, is working in that environment and trying to help people, whether it be virtual, in-person, hybrid, trying to meet people where they are and, and where they need to go. Sounds great. Jim, thank you so much for taking some time. It's been a pleasure to have you on Lead with Impact. It's been uh, delightful. Thank you, Brian.
that uh, I was uh, president of a little professional group here a number of years back and when and we had a, a good year and building our membership back up and uh, so the the board gave me this thing for a record-breaking year and so uh, there you know for, for some younger younger folks the idea of uh, some of my, my kids when they were younger like, they're like what is this thing well it's actually uh, something that you could use to play music <laughs> <laughs> I, exactly. I realized I was dating myself by calling it a 45. And, uh, even it's a that. 33 and a third. Oh, a 33 and a third. Well, I'm, yeah, exactly. Now that I can see it, it's not a 45. It, it, at so. least it's not a 78, Brian. Right. <laughs> We're not pulling out the Victrola. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>